Patrick, uh, what are you telling you? What are you telling your wife this week for Thursday night? <laughs> Poker game is not happening. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm thinking of just uh, you know going with my close friend to just uh, a lot of long strolls. Yeah, <laughs> I want to. You know, me and my friend we want to walk by a, a series of theaters, and one of them is like a dirty theater, and just be like, "No, sir, no way," because we're a couple of squares, but we're no we're, we're also big lion nerds who hate our wives. <laughs> the world's the world's most who are like. They're so out of, like, Cloris Leachman. How on earth does Bob Neward think he's, like, out of her? Insane. He's going to go take a boat trip to, theoretically, meet and date 20-year-olds. Oh, Bob. Bob. (laughs) That's how the movie should start, and the end should be. Oh my goodness! You know, and with on that note, we could only be describing an Academy Academy movie. Hello, and welcome to the 49th annual award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Grimian. Welcome to the Academy, and welcome to a Brooks Brooks potpourri. I think we'll be calling that episode that uh, that's what we call in this episode. Oh, yeah, we're doing that. I'm writing it down. Uh, We are all over the board, picking up some odds and ends from our two favorite Brookses. Uh, Well, I mean, we haven't ranked Mel Brooks in here. I don't know where he falls in your favorite Brooks category. Don't don't get me started with Richard Brooks. I'm I'm a Richard Brooks fan. You know who's not? Quentin Tarantino. Really? He's a fake tough guy. <laughs> Interestingly, <laughs> I heard him say that. And I was like, what? Tarantino, come on now. You can't make those kind of judgments. I don't know, man. I think he's. I think he made some cool movies. I'm an Elmer Gantry fan. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate Elmer. Yeah. I like the Blackboard Jungle. Yeah, I know. These are pretty good movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like them. In Cold uh, Blood, that's great. Yeah, In Cold Blood's really good. <laughs> Every time I, um, yeah, looking for Mr. Goodbar. That's a that's a strange one. I don't know if you ever saw that one. I've never that, seen that. That's um, Diane Keaton made it right after she made Annie Hall to kind of prove like do an edgier movie, mm. and it's um, it she plays like a school teacher who starts. It would play really well with cruising. We'll put it that way. Mm. Um, in the same kind of, oh, this is interesting, but I don't know if this is a correct kind of film. Oh, no. <laughs> by any yeah. means. Uh, yeah, but, this, uh, this mode of thinking has aged poorly. The, um, the soundtrack rights to it are so screwed up that it's actually never ha- even had a DVD release. Whoa. Um, so it's this kind of this, one of these like crown jewels of the physical media world of like, well, is this ever coming out? I saw it on TCM. That was the one time I saw it. I was like, when I saw it was coming on at like one in the morning, I'm like, oh, I'll be there for looking for Mr. Goodbar. This might be my only shot. <laughs> um, but this week, of course, we're not talking about looking for Mr. Goodbar. There's no Brooks in that movie. Uh, we are talking about three drastically different <laughs> movies. Um, we're, of course, talking about Thursday's game from 19. 19- 74 originally airing on the abc network a television film written by james l brooks we're talking about the simpsons movie uh co-written co-produced by james l brooks and co-starring albert brooks 
from uh, 2007, and we're talking about 2011's Drive, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and co-starring Albert Brooks. Uh, boy, these were fun. Yeah. Like, All in their own strange ways. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of, like, I think this takes the cake for most disparate features we've covered. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. this makes like covering Cry in the Dark and It's Complicated on the same episode look like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like at least those like are, uh, yeah. Yeah. These are just totally, totally unique one after the other. Different yeah. genres, different, different modes of it's just of, of art. It's just yeah, wild stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to kind of see how it's both like an, a very early career type thing a very like very safe middle to late career kind of thing oh yeah and, and a relatively dangerous and thrilling late career kind of swerve choice um from the from our boys i would love to see james l brooks play a villain in a neo-noir oh uh, <laughs> yes <same> vein. <laughs> i would love that i would love yeah I'd put james l brooks in like the the Werner Herzog role in Jack Reacher. Yeah, I love that. Or James L. Brooks as um, in the Ron Perlman role in Drive. Oh my God, that'd be would that have been rad? <laughs> that would roll. Or, or Same Gary, dialogue. Gary Marshall. Don't, don't change any of the dialogue that he says. <laughs> I, I liked Ron Perlman this time around in uh, Drive. I, I found him very fun. Oh, he. I think he, I always have. I just have kind of forgotten because that movie's so starry. That oh. he kind of gets lost in the shuffle a bit, but he's wonderful in it. Oh, he rules. I love, I think I've said this on the pod already, but I love that, like, he is like this resistance lit. He's like, his, his Twitter account is wild. But uh, I remember, like, in the very beginning of Trump's run for president, like, back in, like, 2015, Ron Perlman was like, I may be a Democrat, but this guy might be... This guy might be the freaking answer. Like he was actually like for like a split second. Now he's totally not that guy. But it was just such a like what's you know, just drawn. Here we go again on getting into like politics and culture. But uh, <laughs> why on earth anyone trusts celebrities for their political opinion <laughs> and that they like have that or. Or these, anyone who's influenced, like I, I keep seeing all these people. Like, thanks Susan Sarandon for not getting Hillary Clinton elected. I'm like, who the hell was listening to Susan Sarandon? That's insane. Yeah, she's at she's at fucking fault here. Yeah, she's at fucking fault. The person who plays the the evil teacher in Jack and uh, not Jack and Jill, and that's my boy. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> these are these are all a bunch of people who like I, Albert Brooks has got the funniest handle on his twitter feed i don't know if you've ever seen it wait he has a twitter feed albert brooks has a twitter feed that okay. he started so he started it for his um when he released his book and it just says originally joined twitter to promote book now trapped can't get out help just, <laughs> he sums up celebrities on twitter right there completely it's like they get on because it's like oh a new season of my show is coming out and then all of a sudden they're getting in fights with deborah messing yeah you know, just, <laughs> suddenly like nick cersei and i don't know nathan lane are mortal enemies <laughs> it's you know this might be the celebrities they're just like us the ultimate version of it is that they are they get duped 
and get pilled by online culture just as bad as anyone else. Oh does. yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's like a rule. Like if you post enough, you will post something bad. That's like an internet rule. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I get these like alerts, and er- for some reason, the Twitter alerts is always the first one. Judd Apatow said this, and it's always like he's always doing something political. And I screamed at my phone the other day, "Be funny!" <laughs> like, <laughs> make the train wreck too, you goof. I, I know you're funny. Do yeah. to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I know. I know. We live in tougher times, though, but it's just uh, it's it's wild. Yeah. Well, wild times. It is wild stuff. And, you know, I think that's on a good note. We can go back all the way back to 1974. Way before Twitter existed. Before Twitter existed, when men could be men. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Classic classic uh, alpha chad types like gene wilder and bob newert <laughs> some of the toughest guys it's yeah. like they were like oh, new heart i thought we had gene hackman no we got gene wilder i guess <laughs> we're going with it <laughs> uh, yeah I we got bobby um, kennedy yeah okay so we're of course talking about thursday's game apparently also known as the burke i don't know why the Burke? B-E-R-K. According to Wikipedia, it was also released as The Burke. Um, 1974, made for television film, aired on the ABC network. Here's an interesting thing that I was bugging me the entire time, and I'm so happy I found out. It was filmed in 71. Mm-hmm. So it took three years to air. Uh, because... Alan Burstyn won Best Actress at the Academy Awards in 1974. So I was like, what the hell is she doing in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, in this, this, this lame TV movie. <laughs> like, I mean, even, and, like, they all seem to be slumming it a little bit. I know. I How did this, how did this cast get in this, get involved in this movie? I, I like, it's wild, because these are all, like, great people. Great, yeah. talented people who are all, many of them kind of in the peak of their career. Yeah, Wilder just got off of Wonka. I know. I know Wilder <laughs> from Wonka the same year. And it's just like, why did you do Thursday's game, my man? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it aired, of course, in 74. It's directed by um, a man named Robert Moore, uh, written by James L. Brooks. Uh, music by Billy Goldenberg, who I who I became a fan of this year because I really liked his score of the Elliot Gould movie Busting. <laughs> so <laughs> now it's a name I remember. Um, stars Gene Wilder, Ellen Burstyn, Bob Newhart, Cloris Leachman, Valerie Harper, Norman Fell, Rob Reiner, and uh, just a host of other faces and names. Uh, it's just everyone they meet is relatively famous, whether it's TV or movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Film was lauded by critics for a perceptive look at adult relationships and further James L. Brooks' reputation as a writer and producer. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Go the, problem, the, the problem is, is that like with actually a lot of James L. Brooks movies is that he doesn't ever chooses to condemn the men and he gives them a bow of an ending that everything works out for them. And none of these people we have met for the most part, in the James L. Brooks universe, deserve a happy ending. No. (laughs) Outside of his two uh, acknowledged masterpieces. Yeah. And even those, yeah, even, and even those movies, those people, those guys get away with a little bit. 
like William Hurd doesn't, you know, necessarily get off the hook. Albert Brooks, I guess Albert Brooks gets off the hook. It, for all these ones about men, he, I think he actually writes women out, 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 outside of Taylor Leone's poor character in Spanglish. Oof, yeah. Uh, he writes women in a really interesting way, and you almost wish he did that more than these cads about town. I got uh, extreme starting over vibes here, too. Yes, this is very big starting over energy in this film. There's like, and there's like hints of stuff that work. Like, I really like the weird relationship between uh, Gene Wilder and Nancy Walker's character, oh, Mrs. Bender. The okay, yeah, I guess we should start there at the um, employment agency. Oh yeah, the movie gets started weird, pretty much immediately. So Gene Wilder plays Harry Evers. He is, of course, as any Academy Academy man would be. He's a producer for a television show. Yeah. <laughs> if he's not editing a newspaper or writing articles or books, yep. or perhaps teaching at a prestigious college, he's working in television. Yeah, <laughs> a man of letters. A man of letters like every Academy Academy <laughs> man. Um, and, but Gene is already feels that he's going to be fired soon. So he has preemptively gone to an employment agency. Yeah, his TV show, I believe, was named Let's Chance It. Yeah, he he's working on a game show um, that seems depressing to all involved. Yeah, it's like <laughs> something about like a, it's like a dating show. Maybe I couldn't yeah, quite. But something. everyone involved from network on down is relatively enthusiastic, about, unenthusiastic about this. Yeah, show. no one's happy. It's an unhappy environment. <laughs> and so he goes in. There's this weird, like, masculine thing going on in this about his need, his his way he treats having a job, mm-hmm. like very old school, very dot like post Don Draper kind of stuff. Like both these guys, I wish they had done more like of them like running into flower children or something like that to show that they yeah. are men. They are men completely out of time, like they are not ready for the seventies. They weren't ready for the sixties. They're like fifties dudes. Um, but it's more like Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice moments. Yeah, oh, a much, a much better film. Much a better much film. much better film all around. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and they play for comedy his neuroses about needing this job. But like, I don't know about you, Patrick. In our day and age, in which jobs are a little, t- I don't know. Yeah, stranger thing and it's like everyone we know wants to work in producing television or whatever yeah i was like harry things seem okay yeah like try a bit harder at the game show yeah like Like, i kind of want to like shake his shoulders and be like dog in like 30 years you would have to squid game to get that job like you're also a straight white guy in television in the 70s (laughs) you get another job my man yeah (laughs) you're gonna be fine yeah that's no reason for this guy to feel any melancholy, and yet but he's he, yeah, yeah, he's bursting at the seams. Yeah, uh, he's like always like one step away from becoming a, a, the Joker. Like he's always yeah, like yeah, like pulling out a gun at a McDonald's. I mean, like... yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not fun clown Joker, <laughs> jo- like, Keith yeah. Phoenix Joker. Yeah, it, like uh, a really troubled man, which kind of gets to, like Gene Wilder's like trying his best, but he's just too. He's he his energy is so good in like the Mel Brooks movies and the like his team ups with Richard Pryor and um, Willy Wonka obviously mm-hmm. he he's 
he's a little too antic to be playing a guy who uh, is kind of this grounded, just human movie. Mm. Do you get that? Like he's a little, like, I think you're expecting laughs from him. Yes. Too. It's kind of actually makes me think of, um, you sent me that article about the um, Adam McKay, Will Ferrell. Oh yeah. uh, Tough breakup, which made us all sad. Very sad. Uh, But what was kind of under the surface there that I noticed was um, Adam McKay. I think the impression Will Ferrell got from his behavior was McKay didn't believe people would take Will Ferrell seriously. Yeah. And that was why he didn't cast him in like his more serious movies or the the Lakers show. Mm-hmm. Like he takes you out of feeling like oh this is a grounded human show or mm-hmm. movie and I think I feel the same almost about Gene Wilder. <laughs> like you know it's like he's a wonderful performer, he's one of the great comedic actors ever, but it's like in this it's like yeah, I mean, we mentioned Gene Hackman, but it's like this part of me is like, yeah, maybe Gene Hackman would have been the right guy for for a part like this, or yeah. um, or Burt Reynolds, obviously, yeah. or even like, uh, would Al Pacino have been too young at this point? Um, well, seventy one, that was right around. That was seventy one. Was Panic in Needle Park? Uh, okay. A little young, a little, yeah, little young, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Gene Wilder's a, a eight or nine years older. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. And same with Newhart. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with me on that. It's just, it's his energy is a little strange just he, in general for this movie. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, he's a good, I, I like him. I actually think you could do like dramatic stuff with Gene Wilder if he was like calibrated properly, but it feels like like he has like a dial on his back and his dial is set to like manic yeah. or, like, or like producer's mode or whatever where like, his reactions are so screamy and like, uh, you know, classic the Wilder shtick. And I love that shtick, but it doesn't really fit in this sort of environment. Well, every one of the bits in this movie goes to 11. Yes. Like, rapidly. It's like, so like, the yeah, so at the employment agency, there's this really interesting kind of like unsaid thing that's going on where the lady who's running the employment office clearly likes him. Mm-hmm. and he, he's barely paying attention to her <laughs> and she's the only person who's like actually has like is a shoulder for him and I think she she would gladly take him in if he had actually left his wife um, <laughs> it's just bizarre um, but so Harry his friend is Marvin at mm-hmm. the beginning we don't know how good of friends they are <laughs> they just yeah. seem to be <laughs> acquaintances more than anything else marvin is bob newhart yeah it seemed like they were like rivals or something at first i didn't get a vibe of friendliness from them i don't know yeah yeah and they play in a thursday night poker game with a guy bunch of guys they would not be friends with in real life Uh, i love these they're like all these like use guys these these weird these weird character actors i loved it who probably want to like talk about the new york jets and shit like that yeah and like these two like a feat like business guys (laughs) somehow got in their poker game and then so basically they all play poker it's a very like casual game every week and then for some reason gene wilder suggests hey why don't we play for money this Mm week they play for money gene wipes the table with all of them gene and bob do um the toughs decide they're not gonna pay 
no, no, no. No, they refuse to pay for their and Gene just like cold cocks one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you! I'm hitting you! Turns into like this Barney Miller fight scene (laughs) where they destroy (laughs) the entire apartment. Gene and Bob versus the Tufts. Everything they're throwing each other through tables like they're the Buffalo Bills fans. I mean, it's just like where did this come from? Insane, insane like fight choreography. It looks half of it looks maybe too real, and half of it looks just beyond beyond ridiculous, almost Tim and Eric esque. Yeah, it's. Well, like the entire yeah, and you you texted me. You thought you saw Tim and Eric playing Harry and Marvin. Yeah, it totally feels <laughs> like be, a Tim- I I wish for them to, or like Tim could play Harry and like Mark Proch, who plays um, Colin Robinson oh. on uh, What We Do in Shadows, could play Marvin yes. and just make a really weird version of this movie. Please, that would be so great. I hope you're listening, guys. I would love to. I would love to see that. That, oh, or just like a table read of Thursday's game with like all these people. <laughs> oh my god! But so they the the poker game ends, but through violence and money, like most men, Harry and Marvin are bonded. <laughs> and, yeah, um, they're blood brothers now. They're blood brothers now because they've been they got their first and last fist fight, um, <laughs> and. They don't want the good times to end. They had such a good time. And so um, I love that Wikipedia simply says, after the weekly game breaks up over a disagreement, like a big like brawl is how yeah. it broke up. Like a saloon uh, fight. So they just decide to lie to their respective wives and say <laughs> Thursday, but just like go for man strolls together just, around New York. Number one, just tell your fucking wife, hey, I'm meeting a friend I have a, now. I, the- have, I, have, I have a friend. <laughs> like, what are they doing? <laughs> Let me hang out with my boy. <laughs> my boy. Uh, my boy man. Bob. Yeah. yeah. Time for my new heart stroll. It's a strange ruse. They they talk about life. They talk about jobs. They talk about how much they hate their wives. Um, and their wives are, of course, uh, Jean's wife is Lynn, who's played by Ellen Burstyn. Mm-hmm. And um, Bob Newhart's wife is Lois, played by Cloris Leachman. And um, safe to say her one scene, I think, is the best scene in the oh, entire she, movie. She's uh, like, now do I agree? the thing. Oh yeah, totally. Now, do I agree with like the what's behind this, like the 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 uh, the, the instant, like what why the scene is happening? No, but it's no. the scene super fucking funny. Oh hell, she's the best. Yeah, it's the best she, moment. And it's it, it kind of gets to what you said there too. It's like James L. Brooks has a weird for a guy who's like really made his bones on comedy. Mm-hmm. His comedy stuff is weird. Like yeah. The entire, every movie, we, you know, we're what eight things in, eight mm. or nine things in. Weird, like it's a little sitcommy. It's kind of hack at times, even. Yeah. Um, it isn't nearly as like nuanced and like interesting as Albert's. Um, yeah, it's a little TV-ish. I guess would be the, for lack of a better term. It's 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 very um very interesting yeah the comedy beats because i think the fight was supposed to be played for a comedy beat and it just came off as really weird i wonder if uh it feels like a lot of the times i think about 
Brooks's comedy stuff, and I wonder if it would work better, like, in a... Actually, you know what? I think you've uh, you've you've said this before. Like, yeah, he's like so much of it would work better in a, either a sitcom setting or a si- or even like The Simpsons. Like, I feel yeah. like some, yeah, like I feel like some of the heightened stuff. Like, I think about like how do you know, for example, and like that one scene where like Owen Wilson shows like Reese Witherspoon like the closet filled with like all the like juicy couture style like tracksuits. And that'd be like funnier, I think, is like a yeah. Simpsons bit than a if, or if like Joey did that on Friends, yeah, or something like that. But in like in a movie, you're like, no, I don't like you. Yeah, you're just I a just... weird man. That's <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of like the problem I have with the the next thing. We'll get to that when we get to it. But like, yeah, it's, it's like you. There are things that work better as like in a half hour format than in a full hour and a half format, or like or where the expectations of character development are perhaps a little different. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that these days people even t- t- these these are different art forms, movies and TV. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cool that they're different art forms. I yeah. think that there should be people who are really good at like really good at one and really good. Like James L. Brooks is very clearly really really good. Whether it's Mary Tyler Moore or Taxi or The Simpsons, mm-hmm. he's super good at um, that kind of thirty minute format yeah you know but when characters are expected to like change you know even on like the best sitcoms you know like um i don't know like a michael sheer type show or something like that right no one behaves like a rational human being if you try and break down their behavior like geez i would want to get away from this person like the nice people are cruel all the time you know it's like but you do it because it's like, oh, it's 22 minutes. And I had some laughs. Yeah. Like yeah. the office would be hell to work at. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be and bad... they're all like, we, I mean, we talked about it before. Even our ostensible hero, Jim, is a loser. <laughs> yeah. He, no, he stinks. Yeah. Yeah. He's mean. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> a mean, bad man. <laughs> yeah, he's mean, a mean guy who's not very good at his job. You know, it's like, <laughs> let Dwight do his damn job. I know he's better at his job than you are too. Yes, he's I, mean, I know. Yeah, he seems to be very good at being a salesperson. I'm pro. Like, I'm a. I'm pro Dwight. I know. Yeah, I know. Boy, there's a hot take. We're Dwight heads. We're, uh, we're Dwight freaks. But yeah, when it comes to a movie, though, you know, and I think um, Terms of Endearment had the book as to kind of base structure and kind of character movements off of, and. Um, Broadcast news is just a gem. You know, I think you just kind of found a real thing that and I think the news industry perhaps inspired him. And I think it's because it's um, driven by Holly Hunter's character. She's the one who kind of drives the movie, you know, and same with terms, you know, go back to we liking, liking his female characters a lot more. Uh, same with terms with um, Deborah Winger and uh, Shirley MacLaine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like these guys are like Reynolds' character in Starting Over, or um, Paul Rudd's character in um, How Do You Know, or Sandler even mm-hmm. in Spanglish, or Nick Nolte <laughs> in I'll Do, do Anything. anything. <laughs> like just these like dopes <laughs> who somehow get their way. That like I like I thought. If this movie, okay, so basically 
these guys, Gene finally gets fired. Mm-hmm. We find out Bob Newhart is completely loaded. Yeah. <laughs> His uh, zipper game is really on high. He works in the garment district and he's doing great. He offers Gene a job because he's a nice guy, nice friend to Gene and Gene takes it as an insult. Yeah. Um, but then they're, they both kind of get down to it where it's like, you know, the real problem here, dudes, I hate my wife. <laughs> and Bob decides he's going to leave his wife, Cloris Leishman, which leads to he takes her out to dinner to tell her so. And she flips out on him. Rightfully so. Yeah. He's played for laughs, but it's very, very sad. It is like truly. You it's picture her alone in Manhattan. And it's just probably drinking martinis by herself and you're just like ooh, buoy uh, honestly too like Cloris Leachman like he dodged a bullet like this guy's a freak don't worry about it this one was shot the same year as the last picture show god <laughs> damn <laughs> like, which which both her and Ellen Burstyn were in <laughs> and you know there's some funny bits too going back to when Gene needs a job and he goes to rot his agent who's played by Rob Reiner who doesn't know he's his agent that was kind of funny yeah um, the part where he gets fired and Norman Fell he's like you're my boss and Norman Fell's like yeah I am <laughs> like that's kind of funny yeah <laughs> like, I mean no them, all those scenes also have like uh, Gene Wilder on the edge freak out moments where like <laughs> you, you each time you're like whoa will Gene Wilder go full death witch here and <laughs> yeah I mean he he's near killing both those men yeah like <laughs> he is like he like trashes it's <laughs> I love that he like trashes uh Norman Fell's like office like he totally <laughs> And then, and then Norman at the very end, after he destroys all the the the, the vase and the, because like the recurring bit is like, oh, everything I I push off your table, I can't break it. You have nothing breakable in your office. And he sees this glass shelf, <laughs> and they both stare at it. They both, and Norman feels like, oh, Gene, no, no, no. I know you could break that. And Gene's like, yes, I could definitely break that, and yeah. he does. <laughs> and, um, and you know, he should be arrested. Yeah, for that behavior. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so, what that's what he, that's what he should have said instead of like, oh, we haven't even talked severance. I know. Oh gosh, because they're men in the seventies. Yeah, and men. Men is what men do. They destroy each other's offices. Yeah, is hey, it's men stuff. Um, boy, boy stuff. Yep. So Bob though is has decided he's gonna just take a suitcase, <laughs> jump on a cruise liner, and try and sleep with twenty year olds. Cool. great man cool, cool, dude. <laughs> cool, cool dude. dude alert that's what, that's, cool, all the, yeah. that's what 20 year olds oh, think of when they think we're, of we're, like we're moving right now but we got a big uh, alarm on the wall here whenever we're watching a movie and something like that happens a cool dude alert goes off <laughs> yeah most people would turn off the tv at this point who are the millenniums uh, as Ridley Scott would say um, <laughs> the millenniums <laughs> <laughs> my brother and I were saying that the entire weekend after we heard that interview with him, complaining about the millennium's other damn phones not going to see the last duel. <laughs> it's like, wow, this dude really hates Robbie Williams. Yeah, he rocks. Really, yeah. really Scott rules, man. <laughs> no, he slaps. It's great. Yeah. Um, so he le- and Gene is a little torn on the matter of leaving Ellen Burstyn, who's who's gaining who all she really wants to do is figure out if this poker game is for real on Thursday nights. So the drama comes to a head when she discovers 
Gene has just been lying. What has he been up to? Strolling with Bob Newhart. I don't know. Yeah. And you texted me and you're right. They should they should have slept with each other. Yes. They're they clearly and sh- they are clearly they they belong together. They, they should have in a more just world. These two men would have fucked. And yeah. I, there's a moment, too, where they're and they would have gone on a cruise together and they would have at least uh, been living their true selves. How great <laughs> would that have been? So Gene discovers that Ellen Burstyn's going to leave him. Take. Take his son, who kind of his son. Oh, you bring up his son, Joel. Oh, who's his oh, son, I, David? I oh think my God! <laughs> One of the great '70s sons. Yeah, I know. Oh. Who, who clearly is like my dad sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the only one who can tell his dad's a lunatic, and he's just like kind of like pats him on the head. He's like, "It's yeah, Dad. Just do your thing. I don't know what yeah. to do about you." Yeah, this this our relationship dynamic is not normal. <laughs> so he shows up to leave. The son just kind of like shrugs his shoulders. Yeah, I guess I'm going with mom. Yeah. And Gene gives a speech. He want he's like, I'm gonna do better. Please don't leave me. And at this point, she's getting in the car, and I am screaming at the television. Don't turn back, Ellen. No, no. <laughs> No, leave this man. No, do not do the movie thing. Do not do the movie thing. They do the movie thing. They do the movie thing. She stops the car. She goes, I like some stupid line about forgiving him like two seconds later. I've already forgiven you. Yeah. And and Gene smiles and they kiss and New York is happy again. Yep. And it it was a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) Much like at the end of starting over when um the the Celtics game or the or was it the Celtics? Yeah. I think it, yeah. Where um, yeah, it's the Celtics because he works for the Knicks in paternity. Jeez, Bert. <laughs> Never mind. All these movies, they're all the same. Everyone, it's, it's all poison. <laughs> we are we have we have unlocked, um, truly like the dark side. It isn't blunt, over-the-top misogyny or violence or racism. It's just a continued dad's rock and men get their way. (laughs) That is (laughs) in these movies. It's all subtle. It's all under the, it's all just kind of taken as taken for granted. But it's happening in every single one of them. It's definitely like, yeah, written by people who have lived lives of pleasant ignorance. Pleasant ignorance. The worst thing that's happened to them is that their wife got tired of their selfish bullshit and left them and asked them for money afterwards. And they're pissed literally, off. And they are pissed off about that one bad thing that happened to them. <laughs> and they're like, now I can't afford the better Pacific Palisades house. <laughs> How am I going to buy more corduroy? I know, I know. These sleeves won't put patches on themselves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she, yeah, she turns around. I was just, I was just, uh, yeah, it's the same thing. Joe Claiborne dating that nice guy on the Celtics, the tall man. Yeah, it was great. Who was great? Seemed like a guy who like appreciated her and loved her for who she was. He played basketball, so she did great seats to the Celtics games, um, and seemed to be a decent guy. But no, 
Burt Reynolds is back. Uh, <laughs> Interrupting practice. <laughs> just uh it it it's frustrating, but Patrick, at the end of the day, I'm so stoked you picked this movie. Because it's it's cool. We it are is cool. Definitely the only podcast that has ever covered Thursday's game. Yeah, we're probably the only two people on earth that have watched Thursday's game in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And I mean there are neat things. There are some there are a handful of funny scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these actors are enjoyable mm-hmm. people. 70s New York stuff is always cool to see on camera um it's competently put together um yeah i mean all those things are all there and all true it's just (sighs) these guys aren't really worth rooting for and the ending feels false (laughs) and the comedy bits i think that if this movie had ended with her driving away and gene wilder now his friend off on his weird boat trip and gene wilder without a job adrift now can finally face his um, neuroses, and that would have been a good ending. Yeah, like a downbeat ending, but mm-hmm. a good one. And yeah, it's like this guy has been selfish. He lied to his wife, who was who seemed wonderful. Like Ellen Burstyn didn't do anything. Like both Ellen Burstyn, Ellen Burstyn seemed like a she didn't seem like you know shrewish wife like a lot of these movies have or something. Or cra- she wasn't crazy. Yeah. Um, she just seems to like want to raise her family and get by and like love her weird husband. Yep. And it, what's funny too is like the other wife, Clara, she's like, you find out in her scene that she is like a lunatic, like a full on. And like, had they have like phrased the reason for Bob wanting to leave more along the lines of this person is like emotionally manipulative mean to me and that kind of thing like yeah. sandler had every reason to leave tia leone yeah oh she man that her character is kind of like a proto tia leone yeah except the fact i got vibes that bob was like a terrible and inattentive husband oh he sucked yeah <laughs> like, it, it is like his gripe is that she's eight years older than me oh yeah <laughs> oh thank you for remembering that <laughs> That's and then like, it was a lie. And then it was a lie. It wasn't true to begin with. Insane. Insane. Yes. In eight years, it's like when you are 50 and she is 58, who gives a shit? Exactly. <laughs> it just a total nonce. I don't oh, know. Uh, yeah, these guys were not likable. Yeah. They I was on the side of the guys they beat up. That would have been so funny from the like, start. Like those guys were like, who, who they hated these two. Di- How did these two dipshits get involved in Thursday's game? To- oh, so many questions. Yeah, exactly. So many questions. Go to, go to oh. YouTube, watch it for free, folks. Because yeah. and send us an email with your thoughts on Thursday's game because we'd love to hear from other people if you all thought this was a kind of surreal, like astonishing movie at times yeah it, it is like yeah it is like getting like a a satellite feed from like the 70s like it just it just feels so out of time yeah it's it was re- i mean as a time capsule it's very groovy in that yeah. sense and i do wonder it's like you're you're flipping through the channels in 74 you just got off work you and your <laughs> wife are there you got a 13 year old son who you kind of have questions about yeah <laughs> a 15 year old daughter who you really have 
questions about. Um, and you settle in for Thursday's game on April 14th, 1974. And you're like, man, I really, I, I understand Harry and Marvin. I wish I could go for a stroll with my best fella. <laughs> you know, like complain, complain about my wife and kids. And yeah, I need a, I need a Barney Rebel to watch uh, Flint Tropics games with. Yeah, you know, I think this could also come down to therapy has become more normalized. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> this is this movie should have just been yeah. these guys getting therapy. Two guys going to separate, separate, mind you, yes, therapists Dude. to talk about these issues. <laughs> Good therapists too. They have they have Manhattan Garment District money. Go to good therapists. Yes, <laughs> that's all they. I think that's all these guys really need it. <laughs> it really is. Oh. Just someone to hear there. That is like literally. They just want someone to hear. They feel like they're in a situation that they can't communicate with they anyone. Wa- they want to safely <laughs> complain about their upper middle class lives that aren't that bad. <laughs> Man, well. <laughs> Wild, wild one. So obviously, full Academy Academy recommendation for ten out of ten. Ten out of ten corduroy patches. Yeah. Uh, Ten out of ten late drinks at Elaine's. (laughs) Ten out of ten. My ex-wife is writing an expose about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 10 out of 10 uh, broken executive uh, vases. <laughs> 10 out of 10 four martini lunches. <laughs> I can't beat that. <laughs> we can, we can, well, you can get there, I think. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes bad dads who get to win in the end aren't limited to just television movies with men of the 70s. Sometimes they could be um, movies based on television shows with animated characters. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings us to 2007's The Simpsons movie. Wow. Um, Directed by David Silverman. um, Written by everyone who's ever written for The Simpsons other than Conan O'Brien, I think. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they brought in everybody um, starring, uh, you know, all of the Simpsons usuals, da- Dan Castellaneta. Is that how you pronounce his name? I, I don't think I've ever tried to say it. It's like Castellaneta. I could be wrong, though. Uh, Julie Kavner, uh, I'll Do Anything Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy Cartwright, Yardley Smith, Hank Azaria, Harry Shear, and of course, uh, playing the heavy in this, Albert Brooks. Mm. Uh, cameo appearances from Green Day and Tom Hanks. I have to say, I laughed at the Green Day scene probably most in this entire movie when, they, when they sunk like the Titanic. That is good. That was that funny. Was, that, made, that, that, that made me laughing. I liked how Green Day immediately accepted it. It's been an honor playing with you, Green Day. <laughs> Yeah, it was an honor making dookie with you, sir. Yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> I, I, um, but yes, of course. Uh, so this one, uh, budget seventy five million. Jesus Christ, um, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but made five hundred thirty six point four million. Uh, smash, smash success, mm-hmm. as usual with everything. Uh, Simpsons related smash success. Um, 
the film has a uh, 87% on Rotten Tomato. Hmm. Contains hearty laughs, biting satire, and an honest portrayal of an American family that makes the show so popular. And it boosts slicker animation and polished writing that, har- that harkens back to the show's glory days. Uh, I saw this in the theater. Did you see this one in the theater? Yeah, when I did. I, yeah. yeah, I remember liking it when it came yeah. out. Me too. I, I had a wonderful day. Uh, my dad does not go to the movie theater particularly often, but sometimes he decides, I want to see this one in the theater. I don't know why. I don't know where his logic comes from, but he decided he wanted to see the Simpsons movie in the theater. We saw it at the Cinerama in Seattle, and we had donuts together afterwards. It was a lovely father uh, son you know what dad's rock yeah that's that's what you learned from that kind of experience I, uh, I had like a trilogy of bad dad film experiences where like every it was like if i had a losing streak every time i would go to see a movie with my father it would always be bad and it was like oh we, man we started off it was like the angley hulk which was like not great and then after that we'd saw date movie together like i remember saying you know like the 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 Scary movie the, guy. Oh, the spoof movie? Oh, man. It was Aww. so bad. I remember, and I remember like asking my dad, can we just like, oh, leave? No. I chose, oh. I'm sorry. And he's like, no, we paid for it. Let's just, let's just, we're going to tough it out. And it was just like grim. Wow. And then, uh, and, then it, and then, it, and then we saw The Ringer together, too. Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, which oh, is like, no. it's not a good movie. But then we broke the curse with Born Ultimatum. Oh, great. There yeah. we go. There you go. Curse lifted. Now curse it's lifted. Lift- yeah, the the one the other one I remember my dad being very like so when they they re-released the like new version of The Exorcist, mm. my dad was like, "We're going to see that." I was like, "Cool, let's do it." Arrows, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, like let's do this. I never forget to. They played the House of a Thousand Corpses trailer before it, and that ah. was before that was like just when everyone knew Rob Zombie was like making a movie, and everyone just flipped out in the theater like, "Oh my god." Uh, it's the guy who made Dracula. Yes, oh, and he's got a movie now. Cool, but uh, I, yeah, I remember enjoying it. I have to say though, and this might just be my current life situation, I fell asleep three times watching the Simpsons movie this time around. I had to, I had to stop it and restart and like rewind back to where I was. Not, not a good sign. No, it kind of, man, it kind of low key. Like it wasn't terrible it's absolutely fine yeah like i don't like how much they told jokes about like can you believe it's a tv show where we have a movie now like yeah. i don't there's know a, there's like one of those that was funny i like that they had the like the fox chiron or whatever on the bottom. yeah that's like a funny that's like a funny bit um, that's a kind of funny thing yeah yeah and there's like maybe like one or two jokes that like i liked there was something really funny about the darkness of like the Simpsons family using nooses to get to the treehouse. Like, <laughs> like there was something like there are like these moments no, here and there. It was impossible that it wasn't going to be funny. Yeah. It's just it it felt I don't know if it has a lot. I, I think there's a reason I hadn't seen it again. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if there was a lot of like unless you're a Simpsons like mega fan, I just don't know how much rewatchability there yeah. was to this thing like the jokes were really funny in the moment i li- enjoy i really loved laughing with my dad um yeah, same and i but, think like also there's just i think at the time there was like a novelty of seeing the simpsons on the big screen yeah 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 that was yeah very cool and like 
And I, I was th- I was thinking about it too. Like, what are some so that recently like movies that have been turned into this kind of goes back to our conversation about kind of television beats versus um, movie beats. Mm -hmm. Like, so they've made like, and I haven't seen a lot of these. So, but like an entourage movie, a sex in the city, two sex in the city movies. Uh, There was a breaking bad movie. Oh yeah. Um, There was a Deadwood movie. The only one I saw was the Deadwood movie. Many fans of Newark. Oh yeah, many. Oh, of course. Jeez, and I didn't see that. Mm. And I heard it was kind of felt flat. And I think there is just a difference between how you present, even how these things transition. So this felt like a really long episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, and not even like it was like a long episode of like mid two thousand Simpsons, where like. It felt like they were at this time they were beginning to try to chase like that family guy, those family guy laughs. And yeah. like and like Homer just like it's so funny. Uh because I saw on the Wikipedia that they almost made Camp Cresty a film. Like that episode, the season four episode mm-hmm. of The Simpsons. And I watched that afterwards. And that was such a funny episode of The Simpsons. Would have been more interesting. Would have been like a like a, like the, the jokes landed better. And I think like um the thing is just that Homer is such an asshole in this movie. And I guess that's like his character, but like, but I think that goes back to what we were also saying about like for 22 minutes, like Michael Scott or office gym, totally fine, totally fine. But you stretch it to 90 minutes. You're like, no, this, 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 this behavior can't last like no. this. But also because they are television characters, they cannot truly change, yes. especially sitcom characters. That, that's the thing is like you either like you can't graft a moral onto it that's what the feels like this movie is doing and they don't even like yeah because like it ends with just like status quo and bart's fine with it because you know homer doesn't basically he's fine with it because homer just lets him do whatever he wants that's sort of like the yeah yeah and because they have to go back to being the simpsons just yeah. like any other like that was kind of like why i like the deadwood movie because the deadwood movie um you know, it was still kind of TV-ish, but because of the fact, and I think like going back, even like the return to Twin Peaks kind of has these vibes. Mm-hmm. There's this level of um, real life mortality that comes into play on these, on those two in particular, because the Deadwood, David Milch, creator of Deadwood, genius, um, has Alzheimer's. Mm. And this was going to be the last thing he ever did. It is wow. going to be his last project. And that weighs heavy over the course of the movie. You feel the outside kind of thing and you feel it with the characters now seeing them, even Timothy Oliphant, who is, you know, a golden God, he's aging mm-hmm. and they're all getting older. And the same thing with like Twin Peaks, the return. There's a lot of people who died who have been on their original show. There's a lot of like you could see in their faces how much everyone has aged, and there is this sense, and I think that's the only way almost to do television is to like show like the passing of time. Yeah, and not and like the Sopranos went back in time because the Sopranos ended perfectly. You couldn't go forward in time with how <laughs> the TV show went, and then I'm sure like Entourage or Sex in the City or like are like The Simpsons where it feels like they're just extended episodes of mm-hmm. the show. Um, long story short, it's just I think it's very hard 
because if you want to do it like a movie, something finite has to happen. And you can't have finite things happen on sitcoms. Yeah. Especially The Simpsons. <laughs> like, exactly. And, and it also doesn't hurt that, like, every, it doesn't help that every new character added to uh, this episode is kind of like a kind of a dud, or like they don't, you know, they don't, so they don't, none of them have like the, like the texture or enduring qualities of the classic Simpsons characters. Like I love mm-hmm. Albert Brooks's performance as Russ Cargill, Car- Cargill as the, yeah, the head of the Car- EPA. Yeah. And he's, and he's funny. He's funny. He gets some good lines, but like, man, I would have rather seen Hank Scorpio or like, uh, or like, I, I think. Yeah. Make it even deeper. Make it for Simpsons fans only. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Like do some, like, yeah, do some, like, uh, or just like don't add characters that like they're never gonna like because we never see that character again. There's also like the weird yeah. Irish kid that like Lisa likes. Yeah, that that falls a hundred percent flat. Like that president Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of funny. That's good. I like okay two characters I like in this new characters that I wish were like kind of recurring. President Schwarzenegger super good, and then uh, not the pig. Don't give a shit about the pig. I think I liked the pig when it came out. Now I'm kind of like, uh, fuck the pig, it's whatever. It's dopey. Yeah, it sucks. But uh, I love the the bomb squad robot that yeah. <laughs> shoots himself in the head. Can't handle the pressure. Yeah. That, was, that, was, that was funny. That was a great. I love that little. I want to see more of that guy. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely some very funny stuff in it, but I, it just, it does, it feels kind of slight. Yeah. You no. Know? It ruined my because uh, I remember I remember liking this movie maybe not a, like a lot but like not hating it uh, and I, yeah and I didn't I didn't hate it this time around either it just felt yeah there six out of ten way. yeah yeah and what is your um what is your relationship with the Simpsons uh, in interesting uh, I my family was like yeah you can't watch the Simpsons for a long time I think my mm-hmm. my mom and dad were like mm, not for you sir. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I guess, like, when I got older, it was, like, the show that would be on, like, before primetime television. It was, like, I think it was always on at, like, 6.30 yeah. in, like, Houston and, like, on Fox 26 or whatever. It was, like, that and uh, King of the Hill. Uh, I like King of the Hill more typically. Uh, Interesting. Just because, like, I'm from Texas, number one, so yeah. I think that's probably part of it. And then, like, uh, I think I like the down-to-earth, the that, like, that drier Mike Judge Witt um although like uh occasionally i'll just you know i'll be bored and like you know put on like a random episode of the simpsons on like disney plus or whatever like yeah i mean it's good yeah it's fine i'd say i liked it but i was never like uh a number one simpsons freak like i was never i didn't i didn't i think i missed simpsons mania because like by the time i was like really watching the simpsons i feel like it was already like ray romano was guest starring and stuff like that and it was like 2006 or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah I was in third or fourth grade when it premiered, oh, and obviously, like the T-shirts were um, ubiquitous. Everybody had to have a Simpsons shirt. Uh, you know, everybody's watching it, and it does seem too that like a lot of people who are in comedy who are around my age, mm-hmm. it really the Simpsons, Conan, mm. and perhaps and perhaps Mr. Show and Letterman are kind of the like pillars of what and maybe Sandler um, of what people around my age consider like good comedy and um, 
the thing about Simpsons for me though is like I watched I religiously watched it, mm. but um, when it was on like the first three or four seasons, and then I just fell off, and I don't really have like the only line I ever quote is the Alf Pogs line, which I still find very funny. <laughs> Remember Alf? He's back in Pog form. But I I feel and they probably will do a stupid joke like that. Oh yeah. Um, but it just. It didn't have like a lasting like like I, I feel people like watch Saturday Night Live for the same reasons they watch The Simpsons these days, where it's just like it's just what we do. It's comedy. It is the pillar of comedy. Mm-hmm. But it's just like for me, it just hasn't really like stuck around in my like cultural mindset at all. Even by the time when this movie came out, when my dad suggested go see, it, I'm like, I'm I really haven't watched Simpsons for a few years. Yeah. I, you know, and I know a lot of people, though, a lot of people I know, a lot of people we both know together really obsess over this. And this matters a great deal to them, The Simpsons. And it's it's it, it's interesting because it just doesn't really. And I think I remember I'll never forget we had an improv practice once it was a different team, but um, our coach, we kept doing scenes about like couples getting divorced mm-hmm. and like he's like don't you guys watch the Simpsons? Don't you guys watch animated shows? Why don't you ever do scenes in like fucking spaceships or pirate ships or like <laughs> anywhere else other than like real world places? And I, that got me thinking, it's like, cause I don't watch those shows. <laughs> like I don't watch like that broad. Yeah. Where any, you know, I, I, I do the, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Thursday's game kind of guy. <laughs> you know, exactly. I, you know? Yeah, there's no yeah, there's no characters with the uh, corduroy uh, patches on yeah, their elbows. No one is walking around New York wondering about the new Ingmar Bergman movie. You know, <laughs> I mean, I would love an episode where like Moe Sislacker. Oh, my favorite joke actually was when they robbed Moe's bar. The uh, jump cuts to the bar being progressively more empty until he was in his underwear. I thought that was that, good in the power outage. I thought that that was very funny. I, yeah. I, 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 I laughed. That was probably my biggest laugh. In you the could movie, say actually. It. it was, was interesting watching it from the perspective of like, Oh, like let's see which like tertiary characters they liked the bright the most. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you could clear, clearly they were in the era of comic book guy. Most is uh, they gave a good one to Martin Prince. He got to like beat <laughs> the bullies. That was kind of funny. I remember yeah. liking that. Uh, uh, yeah, I just read here that actually Kelsey Grammer recorded a bunch of lines for Sideshow Bob, but all those were cut. What? Yeah. He should have been, see, like that, if he was somehow the head of the EPA or something. What is up with comedy people making the EPA uh, antagonists? Because between this and Ghostbusters, we got two classic EPA villains. Yeah, like, very odd. Very odd. Like, very, very weird. They just I thought like... EPA was like the the one of the one of the better government agencies if you prescribe to a liberal mindset. Although, <laughs> although I did like that they called out like the NSA, like the spy, uh, mm-hmm. the spy state, or what is the surveillance state? Like you know, yeah. Before a lot of folks did, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, this is a a lot of these jokes actually really are Bush era jokes mm-hmm. too, Yo, on totally. top of that this is very so, very yeah. uh, bush, bush era lib yeah 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 and the weirdest thing that could possibly happen is arnold schwarzenegger becomes president <laughs> yeah that's preposterous preposterous yeah wait oh 
wait till 2016. Oh boy. Go. But, yeah, it was funny. And I, I, I think both of us were like a little like, because it has to have this Homer being the hero. Uh, yeah. You know, it, that's why it gave us dad's rock vibes completely. It's like a man behaving badly for 90%. <laughs> 90 to 95% of a movie who in the end is like, you know what? You rock, you deserve a win and you get to win. And you know, in a sitcom, you can do that in a movie. You start to see kind of the holes, Mm -hmm. the flimsiness of that. And, you know, in the next movie we talk about, I'm going to probably go back on, you know, because I'm going to actively proclaim that I like style more than substance <laughs> momentarily <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> because the next movie is, you know, we're talking about depth and everything like that. The next movie actively avoids going into detail yeah. on much of anything <laughs> in service of being cool. And do I like that? A little bit. Yeah. So I might contradict myself in just a moment because we're act- we're actively act- asking for full, full-blooded character arcs where people change and that kind of thing from both Thursday's game and the Simpsons movie. Yeah. We're gonna come. I have a feeling we're both gonna completely let it, let that slide. Yeah, and we'll we talk here, about Drive. <laughs> and I'm gonna leave. Then I'll leave this for the Simpsons movie. I think there's two ways this movie could have worked. Either or not worked. Actually, I think there's only one way this could have worked. I take it back. We're like. Yeah, you can't have finite change. You hit the nail up, uh, hit the nail on the head with the hammer. Almost did a hit the hammer on the head again. Didn't do it though. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm Jeez, learning when that happens. We're moving uh, soon, and I'm going to do that all the time at the new place. And, <laughs> and nothing is going to get built. No, everything's going to be messed up. <laughs> I think like if this, if The Simpsons was like drive in the sense of like, don't worry about like, like they try to get these like emotional beats. Like, if The Simpsons just did not try for emotional beats, like, at all, and was just legit like an episode of The Simpsons, I think it actually would be more successful. If it, yeah, if it had strictly focused on being 90 minutes of the funniest 90 minutes of material. Yes. Here, and it didn't even have to make sense. It could have just been, like, every joke that they, you know, just funny, funny, funny. Yeah. Don't try and be heartwarming. Don't try and learn any lessons. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, don't do the whole Ned Flanders thing. We're like, or yeah. Like, yeah. Or you can do it, but like, don't do it to the treacly level. I think everything gets like, treacly. The best part of the entire Flanders thing was when he made fun of his son's hair. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Devil's the, red hair. Yeah. Yeah. Curly yeah, hair. Yeah. yeah. The devil's curly hair. Like, yeah. Just like, let the characters be the most versions of themselves, and just like come up with something really asinine like i guess the dome is kind of asinine we haven't really talked about so um homer gets a pig i'm going to do this very succinctly homer gets a pig he's very excited about his pig he has no idea where to put the pig shit he puts it into (laughs) a um gigantic uh septic tank he tries to dump the septic tank it explodes into a lake uh, making um, Springfield a environmental disaster zone yes. uh, with like multi-eyed fish and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. The EPA gets sent in, led by Albert Brooks. They put a dome over Springfield. Simpsons become pariahs. Their house falls into a sinkhole. Uh, Bart decides he's more interested in having Flanders as a father. And frankly, might be correct. 
<laughs> in that judgment. Um, yeah, oh, totally. Uh, Homer, bad, yeah. After making his son skateboard in the nude. Not great. They, uh, they, Simpsons get locked outside the dome, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, no, they uh, don't get locked outside the dome. What happens is they, they, they escape through a sinkhole. Like, that part. Oh, that yeah, part, okay. Yeah. Although, it's, uh, it is the visuals of people clawing at the top of his head. Very funny. Turns out uh, Albert Brooks is bad. Yeah, bad, bad guy. Uh, he, what does he want to do? He wants to blow up Springfield or something. Yeah, he wants to blow up Springfield uh, with a bomb. Um, oh yeah, Homer visits a Inuit shaman in a fairly racist scene. Yeah, that's like. Uh, there's also like a bunch of like you know mid two thousands like gay jokes that don't age well. Yeah, like it's like a yeah. lot of like. It's pretty like it's like Which not, is, is to be expected from yeah, but it still isn't. It, it, there, it's weird how I can accept it more in Thursday's game <laughs> than in the Simpsons movie. Yeah, that's the thing. I think <laughs> it is I like think you're expecting more from the Simpsons movie. You're yeah. expecting Thursday's game to be weird and dated. Yeah, with Thursday's game, I'm like, yeah, this is the '70s. I'm whatever. Like everything yeah. went back then. But yeah, like, it yeah, ain't with, great, but you know, oh well. Yeah, but with Simpsons, it's like, come on, guys. Uh, so Homer realizes he has to save the day. Uh, they do, obviously, and then they rebuild the Simpson house, and everyone reconciles, and we're back to another day in Springfield, as you would expect from every single episode of the billions of episodes that they have done mm-hmm. of the Simpsons. Um, yeah, it's fun. It isn't. I'm going to kind of forget it exists. And then, you know, maybe the baby when she's like 10 years from now gets into this, finds the Simpsons on Disney plus <laughs> we'll end up watching it again. It's probably where it's going to go is what I would imagine. Um, and that'll probably be the last time I ever see this movie. Um, I thought Albert Brooks, interesting that we are seeing him. This is a great transition actually. Cause I think he's, I actually think he's very good. In this, I think you're right that they could have just done a previous Albert Brooks character, mm-hmm. but he brings the right he brings the right elements to the role to be kind of the heavy in it. Um, and it's interesting that right around this time he was transitioning to being away from you know these heavier roles, you know, because it's not only the movie we're going to talk about in a moment, but I mean, you know. He's not great in This Is 40. Um, if you remember, he's Paul Rudd's dad. Mm. Uh, most He's in A Most Violent Year, which I've heard a lot. Do you remember that one? Uh, Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. It's like, it's like a an attempt at like a Sidney Lamette kind of crime movie. Mm-hmm. I heard the guys on Chapo Trap House, though. Will Meneker said, "Most violent year, about a most boring year." <laughs> like I was like, yeah, it is, "It's a slow one." <laughs> yeah, it is definitely. Yeah, it is definitely like a movie I remember watching in theaters, but I don't remember the actual experience. I remember they had like this. The trailer was very hip. It had a Marvin Gaye song. Yeah, and it was like, "Oh, this movie is going to be a banger," and it turned out to be a little drab. Uh, Oscar Isaac though had a great coat. If I remember, mm. a great look in that film. Oscar Isaac always has good looks, though. We'll get to that in a moment. Yes. Because um, he's involved in the next picture as well. But he was also, um, Albert Brooks was in Concussion, the NFL uh, Tell the Truth with Will ah. Smith. You know, he said so he was doing a lot more dramatic work in general. 
you know, I don't know if the Simpsons movie was leading into that, but um, as his directorial career was coming to, you know, coming in as a great, great supporting actor. And I think he, he adds, you know, he makes the threat to Homer and the Simpsons real, which is all he really needs to do in this movie. And he's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is again, kind of where James L. Brooks though works his magic. He, he, as with all of, I mean, all these sitcom scenarios, then it ends to tie a bow together to, you know, heartwarm and make you feel happy that this is a family. This is America. Yeah. You know, we're going to, we're going to always forgive our sad dad, no matter how, how much he egregiously fucks <laughs> up. I mean, yeah. like and he and Homer, you know, fucks everything up in Springfield. He nearly causes ca- true catastrophe. Yes. But then, Hey, you know what? He was able to ride that, motorcycle like in the air like i guess yeah. that, sure whatever it's a why not? yeah why not why not um but you know it is interesting what you'll i don't i was I, this movie I, have you felt over the course of our 60 some odd episodes patrick that you're kind of like learning more about what you like and what you don't like in movies yeah because like, we're we have to like talk about this for hours on end <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely learning of yeah definitely learning more about my preferences sure. yeah like what you just find like pleasing what you find good what you find successful it's it's very interesting i mean selfishly i'm enjoying this process quite a bit because the next film is a movie that when it first came out i saw it i saw an advanced screening of it it was a movie that i had followed since the Cannes film festival it was a movie that i would say was outside of that tree of life that came out that year, the movie mm-hmm. I was most excited to see mm-hmm. in general. Um, I had become a fan of the director from his previous couple films. Um, and then over the, then it became kind of a pop cultural sensation Yeah, after it came out. And I, I think I became one of those, had one of those, um, oh, this was cool before everyone else liked it. Ooh. Kind of feelings. And is this movie, is this movie like, overrated but watching it again this time around i was brought back to that advanced screening in 2011 and i was like no i fucking love this movie (laughs) (laughs) of course we're talking about 2011's drive uh directed by nicholas winding refn screenplay by hossein amini based on the novel drive by james salise um very important to note music by cliff martinez with a big hand from johnny jewel uh, starring Ryan Gosling, Carrie Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, Oscar Isaac, and Albert Brooks. What a cast. So, so this movie made $81.4 million at the box office on a $15 million budget. It was nominated for one Academy Award, controversially won. We'll get to that in a moment, but for sound design. Um the movie has a um, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. With its hyper-stylized blend of violence, music, and striking imagery, Drive represents a fully realized vision of art house action. Mm. Pretty good. Pretty good comment. And I'll never forget when this movie came out, there was a woman who sued everyone involved mm-hmm. because she thought she was getting a Fast and the Furious movie. That was how it was marketed. 
<laughs> and this movie did get like a C, this has a C got a C minus cinema score, which is kind of the exit poll from general viewership. Wow. Thing, which is a bad score for the most part. Uh, my beloved, the only movie I can think of, my, I actually have a few movies that got F's that I'm a big fan of. Uh, first and foremost, Ridley Scott's The Counselor got an F. And I'm a huge <laughs> fan of The Counselor. <laughs> Hopefully someday I'll get a chance to talk about the counselor on the on the yeah. podcast. Maybe we'll do a Javier Bardem bracket. Oh, I, I'm a oh, I love the counselor. Um, they they and the uh, this was attributed to the audience feeling tricked, expecting more driving action based on the marketing, like a Fast and the Furious movie. Um, not that movie at all. This movie is, of course, about a unnamed driver, stunt driver, and a getaway driver played by Ryan Gosling, who gets involved due to his strange infatuation with his neighbor, uh, with uh, some underworld figures represented by Nino, played by Ron Perlman, and his and his boss, Bernie Rose, played by Albert Brooks, in a role, you know, when this movie came out, it was really talked about what Albert Brooks did in this movie, and a lot of people thought he got really snubbed for best supporting actor nomination for this movie. And I have to agree. I wanted him in the mix for this. Um, I'm with you. He is boy, wolf in sheep's clothing in this film. Uh, but by the time you reach the point where you see, he has a knife box. You're like, Oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah. This isn't good. <laughs> yeah. He's a dangerous, dangerous man. He also stabs a guy in the head with a fork. Um, oh my God. Yeah. It's, he he is the great a great villain where you're like oh he's kind of you know he's he seems kind of just you know he's he's tough talker but it'll be okay but um his capability of violence is pretty unparalleled yeah it is so funny too because he does start off almost like as a brooksian character like an albert brooksy like He's doing his Albert he Brooks wants Chinese a food at this Italian restaurant. It's all very funny. And yeah. but then um, you know, and there he he seems legitimately interested in this race car yeah. scheme that there's Brian seems, Cranston's putting together. There's, uh, there's like but, a hint of empathy within that character a little bit. It yeah, feels I, like it, it. it was a trailer moment, but it's very clear. It's like the part where he meets Gosling and Gosling's like, my hands are dirty. And he's like, don't worry, mine are too. And you're like, uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the part where you're like, yeah, get out of there. I think you think because of his size, Ron Perlman is going to be the physical heavy oh, in yeah. this movie. But uh, the amount of killing that uh, Albert Brooks does, <laughs> you know, really, uh, it does. Perlman can't match that. And uh, the fact that Albert Brooks works with this knife is really great, too. Um, But yeah, this movie, um, when I first saw it, I was, um, like I said, knocked out. Bought the soundtrack right away. I was telling everyone who would listen that it deserved all of the Academy Awards and that they should invent new Academy Awards for it, (laughs) including um, Best Use of a Scorpion Jacket, uh, best Best... Best threat by hammer. Mm. Uh, best best, threat, uh, best, best driving pork. gloves. Um, <laughs> best elevator head stomping. <laughs> you know, just everything you'd expect. <laughs> uh, I, I find this movie 
you know, I, I it was obviously quite a bit hyperbole, but watching it again, I was just so involved. Like, I just dug it. I just dig this movie. I don't know. I, I, what's your what was your history with this movie? Yeah, I remember watching it in theaters, uh, liking it, but not like uh, like loving it necessarily because it's a very it is like a, I think I just didn't understand it at the time. Like, it's such a sparse movie. And I think I was going in with that head mindset of like, OK, this is a movie. I better have like a plot with characters and like, you know, like a lot of like interesting change. But like, I think you're 100 percent right where you have to go into this movie like expecting more of like a tone poem or like like a vibe it's like this movie is a vibe oh yeah like oh without movie- yeah. from the jump it's uh, it's just all tone yeah and like and i mean and refin has been accused of um being a kind of empty filmmaker mm-hmm. with because and i think we you know he was like and i i just was blown away by his work because like before this i had i had already seen um the Pusher Trilogy and Valhalla Rising and Bronson. And I was like, this guy, man, I'm following this dude. And, you know, after this, he made a movie, Only God Forgives, mm-hmm. with Ryan Gosling, which another movie that audiences did not love, but I, I dug. Yeah, I mean, and I think the thing, too, is like, well, number one, the dude who made Bronson is not an empty director. That movie, like, man, like that movie rules. That's a great. That movie's great, and the character's very fast. That character is fascinating and multifaceted. And yeah, he just demonstrates and that. It's, and it's a star-making performance from Tom Hardy. Oh yeah, I think it might still be his like best performance. Uh, he's, th- he's thrilling in it, and and I think the thing about it is, is that what Refn is going for is you know a pure visual filmmaking. Mm-hmm. He is not interested at all in um, <laughs> monologues or, you know, exp- you know, almost not even explaining themes. He wants the themes to come out via what you're seeing, which is kind of what movies should be, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it is a visual medium. Like, and I think that's going actually back to, like, James L. Brooks. Uh, television is not a visual medium. Television is a writer's medium. Mm-hmm. And so they overwrite things, <laughs> you know, everything <laughs> is written to the nth degree and the like kind of emptiness, the kind of not really being ever certain what the driver is thinking mm-hmm. in this. Like, and I know that there's been a lot of talk that he's, he's a soci, he's a psychopath. Yeah. And I, I agree. I think he is a psychopath. I yeah. think he, he, once he gets a taste for the violence, he's into it. He's not turning back and he thinks he's doing it for very like good reasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even to the point where the kiss in the elevator that he shares with Irene played by Carrie Mulligan, I don't believe it's real. I think it's a total fantasy. Oh, interesting. Um, I think she's scared of him. Yeah. From, you know, oh, and I think that the um, their meet cute. I think he purposely destroyed her car in yeah. the lot. So he could get the meet cute with her. Um, oh I think he, he sees himself. I mean, he's a real hero, as the song <laughs> in the opening suggests. <laughs> the real human uh, being. Yeah, he's a real hero, but he's not. No, he's and an he's, alien. Yeah. yeah, he's pretending. And I, Gosling even said he thought he was a werewolf at one point. Like he had all sorts of theories about who the guy, who the driver was, but he's not. Yeah, and like it's ironic that that song plays. It's a funny choice yes. from Refn to play that song because it's like 
this is a guy who does not know how to be a real human being. He and he has seen all of these movies mm-hmm. that he believes he knows what a hero behaves like in an action movie. Oof. To the point where he's wearing a Jason Statham mask during one of his attacks. Oh my god. Yeah, he and he is like yeah, he is just so emotionally like I think like that's the beauty of the minimalism minimalism of his character is yeah, from his lack of reaction, from his like he's clearly like someone who has like emotional issues or like there's something deeply broken within him. Yeah. And yeah. He cannot, and he he only has one function, it's driving. He's great mm-hmm. at driving. And then and the only way he knows how to react to anything that goes wrong is extreme violence. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like you under, you start to understand, because like on paper, it's a little weird that he's working for Brian Cranston, right? He's like, mm-hmm. this is a stunt driver. He's like, he's good as his job. That's like enough money. That shouldn't. But then like, as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, this person probably like beat the shit out of someone in a bar or something once. It is like, <laughs> like it's low key on the lamb. Yeah. And their history is like, but that's like the beauty of the movie is that it's all through camera action and gosling and you get all of that without any real dialogue which is very i think awesome and fucking groovy like i'm totally into that and i think gosling's performance is really i like him a lot i'm a i'm a gosling fan mm-hmm. just in general but i think like this is like a, a key performance for him because he gets to play with kind of his boyish good looks and mm-hmm. kind of like another wolf in sheep's clothing almost like you see him and he's like he looks like the sensi poo kind of guy based on oh, his yeah. physical appearance but then like when he starts it like the parts where he looks up and he's got like blood all over his face yeah he looks like a little boy who's like what did i get into yeah. you know, it's like, oh it's like american psycho shit yeah, yeah it is yeah 100%. and it's like yeah and he's so good at it and so enthusiastic about uh, it yeah like it's in and i love the fact that he doesn't change so by the end he's walking around in the scorpion jacket that's covered in blood and just going from place to place across los angeles yeah. it like a total lunatic oh, who just... thinks he's on this hero's journey he legitimately thinks he's on this hero's journey <laughs> it's so it's great and and you know it's all going to come down to this meeting with you know, Albert Brooks. Mm-hmm. And we learn more that Albert Brooks and Ron Perlman are like not these high level gangsters that they are in debt to the shadow organization, which I love that kind of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm you know, as you know, I'm a huge fan of shadow organizations in fiction. <laughs> like, like the East that, Coast mob, I believe they keep saying over and over again. The, yeah, the East Coast mob or I mean, you know, you could just legitimately just say it's Carcosa. Yeah. <laughs> Carco- yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> the true detective season one summed it up by never actually showing the villains it was just like yeah these are people who just work for them and like provide them with terrible things like because it feels honestly so scary and true and you just feel like a cog in the system yeah which like i love like when ron perlman g- gives that speech about being jewish mm-hmm. like and how he's like these guys never respected me and it's just like 
and you think he's like this tough guy. It's all this big show, and yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and Cranston's character is like all talk, but he's so weak. Ugh, it's, yeah. it's, and the, and when um, spoiler here, but I mean, this movie's ten years old. You've probably seen it. Yeah. The, the, I, for a movie this violent, I think the most violent part is when Albert Brooks kills him, which is that let's slit across the wrist. Yeah, it's and so it's just grim. so grim and violent. And Albert Brooks, says, it's over. It's over. It's fine. Yeah, and you're like, oh my god, that's, that's so scary. Like, and that's like, yeah, that is like, yeah, Albert Brooks's character from Modern Romance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, it, and you know, I mean, it, you know, I can't though. It's like all this. This movie's so interesting, mm-hmm. it's endlessly interesting. I think Refn is so fascinating to me. You know, he's. Did you know he's colorblind? No. Yeah. So, interesting. So all of it. So everything has to be bold. Mm-hmm. To, for him to like know that he's making choices like so nothing can be muted basically wow. in his movies and that's why his movies are so bold in their look and their part and their approach but i think it's such an interesting thing and it, i i yeah i i just i think this movie you know i'm thinking about style over substance i think there is substance here but i think it's substance in like I think people are confusing these days what substance is. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be, you know, in a way like a how we live now political statement. Mm-hmm. It can't be, oh, the hero is a villain or monster. You know, all these like they have to have like we have to know what side everyone is on. Right. You know, and it can't just be like flashy, you know. I see why people could be confused almost with this movie, but I think that there is something going on. I just don't think it's like, has anything to say about society <laughs> necessarily. I right. think it has something to say about the characters within this world that is being created and how kind of shadow figures and kind of desire, how their desires, you know, and how Gosling's character is presented, you know, the idea of heroes mm-hmm. in a way, because Gosling looks is you know he's super he he's like a man character in the sense he is super skilled mm-hmm. as a driver he's super skilled as a killer <laughs> too um, but he's a weird alien yeah who doesn't really know what he's doing in in any social situation at all I love the pauses like every time Carrie Mulligan asks him a question it takes forever for him to answer yeah. And she kind of they cut back to her and she's just like this like pleasant woman who's like trying to be polite. Who I I don't think actually he sees any. I think she's upset about Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac is her husband who's just getting home from prison. I think she's upset that he's gotten himself into these jams. Right. But and I think she likes the fact that Gosling's nice to her kid. But I don't think she's ever going to like run away with the driver. Yeah, that's not his. uh, That's not her. uh... Not her prerogative, yeah, it's yeah, not her. yeah, and yeah, and he sees a window as a protector, which is what he's always wanted. Yeah, well, and also like, yeah, I think you said this earlier, but like, yeah, the whole, the whole movie, I feel like whenever the driver's in the room, it is always from his perspective. Yeah, like it is like, and like, yeah, it truly is unclear how much of her. Uh, perceived attraction to him is his wishful thinking and you know 
yeah, how much of the film is truly happening in his head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and how much is a fantasy? Is the soundtrack even what he thinks is being played as he's doing his shit? <laughs> that would be fucking sick if that was true. Yeah. I would love that. It's re- I think it's really interesting. I just think it's interesting in a way that isn't necessarily like <sighs> socially relevant. I guess mm. we- does that make sense? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, um, it's not saying something about like, oh, I all, get you. All men or all women or all you know. Or, it's like it's like a personal. It's not like a grand tome that's uh, trying to make a grand statement about the the state of masculinity or something. Yeah, and I think it makes points about it, but within a very confined space, a confined world. Mm-hmm. Like they are making points about masculinity because he is behaving how he thinks men behave. Mm-hmm. But because he's an empty vessel, he doesn't really know how to do it properly. And the, all the ugliness of like an action star's behavior in like a revenge film mm-hmm. just is like comes out in him. And even at the end when he's driving away and he's covered in blood, real hero comes back on. <laughs> and it's like, is he a hero? I love the ambiguity. It's also ambiguity ambiguous yeah which i think people really struggle with that's true i think i remember Um, i think i honestly remember watching this movie and like i think i went out of the theater being like a little bit like uh like that there's not much going on with this guy like he's 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 a bit of a lunatic or but that's like that's the point of the movie is it like it is like yeah it is like this totally it's almost like being there, but it's about like a like a Death Wish type character instead of like. Oh, that's present. a great way. Oh, a great way of putting it, and it makes me want to watch the movie again. Oh. Being there meets Death Wish. Yeah, I want to watch this movie. Oh, one hundred percent. That's a great. It is. Yeah, yeah. being there meets. You put it on the box, folks. Yeah, like. But if you're not into that, if you want, you know, I'll, I'll do things for family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then I mean, you're in for a different movie. I mean, this oh, is yeah. like. This is like this play. The, the, Nicholas Winninger F and one best director at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow! For this movie, this movie got a massive standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Like this is more of a. Uh, well, also I think that's also, you know, Michael Mann is an American director, tried and true. Mm-hmm. He comes to Los Angeles. He's a Los Angeles director. Nicholas Winninger F is Danish. He gets transplanted to los angeles he's seeing it in almost a outsider eye like a alien perspective himself that is like and like the, the choices he makes are so fascinating too in the sense that like he's going to like the kind of like the the local rundown uh ralphs he's going to the uh he's going to the uh uh like it's not like the he's going to like the Ninos in the strip mall or what you know what I mean? Like it's very like it's not like the glossier choice. He's, he's seeing beauty and mystery in Los Angeles as a guy who's just arriving. Like and just kind of discovering it himself in a in a in a cool way. Yeah. I think. And it, I, and, it, and, and yeah. it's not and he's not just doing like, yeah, it's not like Geely where they're always at the fucking Ivy for like no good reason like this movie succeeds so much more of being a gangster la film than geely does yeah oh 100 percent. i mean and i think yeah oh 100 percent. because 
nothing is nothing gangsters taking place at the Ivy, except unless you're considering like shitty movie deals and back end deals. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. If you, unless you consider like uh, Gilbert Gottfried trying to get like an extra 2% commission from the, the problem child reboot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I, I think this movie contains a lot of interesting, weird depth and just weirdness. And I want to see that in movies. I don't want to see like by the numbers kind of things. And I remember when this mm. came out, I was like, damn that's exciting that's that what a groovy movie that is and i felt it again this time around i thought i like all the performances in the movie top to bottom i think you know even like russ tamblin shows up as the doctor oh yeah like just neat stuff like that i think you know i like um like the unsaid shit between gosling and oscar isaac is really good like you know that oscar isaac's really wondering what Gosling. he's like among anyone in it is wondering what the hell is gosling's deal mm. because he also thinks he's trying to sleep with his wife <laughs> um, but i think gosling's too much of like a innocent deer <laughs> to, to even think about sex like this <laughs> movie's like yeah another thing i mean this movie's like not for as like stylish as it is it's not a sexy like sex is not on anyone's mind at all you know everyone in all the masculinity is a front interestingly enough whether it's gosling or cranston or isaac or pearlman and interestingly yeah the only one who really understands kind of like the stakes of masculine violence is albert brooks yes and what it takes like i interesting quote here from albert brooks uh about the movie um you know he said, um, I like it was an opportunity to act outside the box. I like this. I like that this mobster had real style. Also, he doesn't get up in the morning thinking about killing people. He's sad about it, upset about it. It's a case of look what you made me do. And I, that's so interesting. Like everyone else is putting on this front where he and he's just like, I have to do this. It's my job to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't really enjoy doing this. I'm good at it, though. So I do it. It's all I know how to do, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I, I you, you liked it this time around. You, you found more in it this time. I did. I found it to be like, uh, well, and I found like the minimalism to be more. I think the choices he made uh, actually provided a depth that was unexpected. Like, I think it is like a serious choice to have your character kind of be as minimalist as possible and to be very except when he's like, you know, freakishly beating the shit out of someone, like having that like be your your huge moment is telling. And um, I loved Albert Brooks's performance way more this time around. I found like there he brings a weird humanity to his character, which makes him all the more disturbing. Like I think you were the yeah. one who texted me this. Where like I can't remember if I read this or if you texted me this, but like the fact that like he doesn't really want to become Fork Man. Like he's trying to avoid being Forkman, but then Forkman happens. He has to make his point, and then it begins. It is inevitable. He's just he's gonna be this like horrid force that looms over the rest of the feature. Yeah, and the second we see that he owns a box of knives in a very ornate box, you're yeah. like, oh wow! Well, now we know like what Gosling is facing. Yeah, and, well, and maybe really- he likes being. Maybe that's the thing is maybe he did like being Forkman, and this opened something in him that hasn't yeah. been open in a long time. In the same way, Gosling likes violence. 
too. Yeah. And I, I think Gosling's performance almost reminds me of like, this is what movie stars could do. It's like Sandler in um, Gems. Mm-hmm. Tough character to wrap your head around. Tough character to like. Yes. But because it's played by an actor you like, mm-hmm. and you're willing to go down the road with them, it's like, okay, I don't know what they're up to. But I want to see Gosling face off with Albert Brooks, and I'm rooting for Gosling because he's ostensibly the good guy. Yeah, at least in comparison to Albert Brooks, sure. In comparison to Albert Brooks, yeah. (laughs) You know, and, you know, because Gosling is wrongheaded, lunkheaded decision, but he thinks he's morally doing this for a good, like, a good cause. Like, Like, his cause is just in a weird, like, he thinks so. But that gets to, like, revenge movies. In general, or like vengeance films. Well, it's like is the cause ever just for no, that level well, it, of violence? I mean, well, it's so funny. Like, if you watch it too, like, there's a reason why people wanted the scorpion jacket. Like, everyone wanted that awesome jacket. It's cool. It's a oh, cool it's jacket. Super cool. But it, but 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 in addition to it just being a fun prop, in addition, it's it's also the same reason people want that scorpion jacket is the same reason that people want like uh, the Godfather poster in their room. Yeah, it is like this thing where, like, um, I think it's really easy, and it happened to me watching it a little bit. Like, you, you do root for Ryan Gosling despite the fact that he is like this weird <laughs> cipher. Like, he, he looks cool. He's yeah. cool. Like, it, also, the and, and, and and by and by movie rules, he's like the con- conventionally attractive guy going against the mob. Like mm-hmm. the sh- that is like the the skeleton of every like hero's journey plot but then we've talked about it though with a lot of these other mob movies watch the scorsese movies or even you know they're infiltrating these movies about cool people with terrible people yeah and you're and you like and it's it's actually kind of a critique of this behavior yeah and and the hollowness of it and the 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 um just how like like you watch this movie there's no way ryan gosling isn't going to like his life is going to end badly there's no good ending for this man he's despite... either gonna bleed to death in his car or yeah. the east coast people are coming yeah it's one like, way or the other man you know what that's like the one thing i would have loved uh the movie is still great and, and actually i kind of like the ending how it is i don't want to change mm-hmm. the movie but like another ending for this film could have been like um like sorcerer yeah. Where it ends with like just like you know he's driving away and then you know you see like a guy on a radio be like up oh, there's our dude let's go get him or like you know or like you like he, it becomes clear that the east coast mob is like about to 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 to, to end him and i think maybe maybe that's you know maybe that's the key it's like because you're just saying that sorcerer just puts a smile on my face that ending and yeah. i think for almost everyone else they're like that's so grim and depressing yeah. and to me i'm like that's fucking awesome that and rules honest. <laughs> and honest yeah. you know it's like totally honest yeah. he should he's going to get caught <laughs> yeah, it's grim but it's like cool in how grim it and the, like the, i think drive works the same way it's like it's grim but it's like it's so satisfying and again because we have a beginning middle and end actions have consequences mm-hmm. in movies in the way that they don't on television in television sitcoms, I guess, you know, actions do have consequences in like prestige drama mm-hmm. type shows, but it's just, I, I think what I love the most about movies is that they are finite mm-hmm. is this element of like, 
oh, something is going like, how are they going to close? Like watching even Thursday's game, it's like, how are they going to close this out? Is while they're going to get back with Ellen Burstyn or isn't he? There's only one, there's two roads. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the end of the movie. Yeah. And that, that like, was what was I? Oh, was watching. Oh, I, I just saw Power of the Dog. Oh, um, was it good? Oh, it's, I loved it. Awesome. But I, what I loved about Power of the Dog, and I actually did the same thing about um, Licorice Pizza. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to, I know it has to conclude. Yeah. I have no idea, though, where it's going to go or how it's going to conclude. Yeah, it is and like, that's yeah. so exciting. It's there like, is something great about ending on uh, such a like wild, uh, like ending on a note where like, yeah, like these guys, their lives could go in any direction right now. Maybe, maybe not a, except, except maybe a good one. Who knows? Yeah, but it has to end. There has yeah. to be a conclusion. It's not, there's not an episode next week. No. Where we just have to j- dive back in. And that is so cool. It's like, how are they going to finish this thing off? What a cool, what a neat, is it going to be like, I mean, I like the, I, I'm a huge fan of uh, both endings on those movies. We're not going to get into detail on either of those movies because a lot of people have not had the chance to see them yet. Mm-hmm. So we can't spoil a thing about those movies, but like even Irishman though, Going back to an ending like that, one of my favorite endings, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's ending. Like, mm-hmm. it's the only way they could end it. It's wonderful. It's terrific. And it's a win in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and it's a tragic, grim loss <laughs> in Irishman. Same with yeah. Sorcerer. I mean, and it was the same with Drive. And I just think that's a neat thing movies can give you. And I, maybe that's why Simpsons movie wasn't satisfying, was because it's just like, okay, we're, you know, back back to it see you yeah. next week should have ended with the the mob cornering homer fat Tony yeah, yeah. and, like and homer this. dies or yeah <laughs> like i'd be so sick if homer just gets murked and then for the rest of the series he's dead yeah i know yeah like, fucking dead. like a definitive change but yes. but i mean what i guess what we learned is you know i think james we'll talk we'll kind of sum things up a little bit more next week on the finale of brooks brooks but mm-hmm. um you know james l brooks is a master craftsman of kind of the the half hour sitcom the satisfying warm hang with middle class people mm-hmm. but when he tries to he's had trouble breaking out of that one line mm-hmm. um our brooks though is a brilliant comedic director in mind, but he also happens to be a tremendous actor who is capable of anything. Yes. As an actor. So I, what a, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that, what, a, what all that means, but it's just like Albert Brooks, man, hats, hats off to you. I oh, guess totally. that's what I want to get at. It's just, I mean, I, you know, just a fan. Well, I'm he just, has- a, just a huge fan. He has like such a you know a unique voice and presence, and his ability to to weaponize that voice and presence uh, towards any role he wishes to take. Uh, it's pretty. It's incredible. It's great stuff. It's yeah. interesting he can turn it to from being sweet to being truly evil with pretty much a modulation of the voice. Yeah. And it, I was just thinking too, Bernie Rose is a better version of Burke Adler from I'll Do Anything. Oh, 110%. But the similar guy. Similar oh, guy. Yeah. 
This is like if Burke Adler, uh, so as if Burke Adler produced I'll Do Anything and that destroyed his career. And yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he just, yeah, he became a pizzeria mobster. <laughs> the, the pizzeria mobster. That's that's the name of my next screenplay, Pizzeria Mobster. I love it. Uh, but yeah, I, I dug this week, man. I thought these were fun choices. Yeah. Um, wide variety. Um, next week, we'll be doing... Um, you know, God willing, we will finish Albert Brooks's novel and have a spirited chat about that. Yes. Um, and then we will run down kind of our 10 faves of the, you know, of the entire series and go through all, you know, all of our Brooks place. rankings, Brooks yeah. rank, a Brooks ranking kind of sum things up. And then we'll, um, hey, give you a peek behind the door of, the fu- of some future plans the academy academy we got some fun end of the year stuff on the horizon although mm-hmm. i think i think quentin tarantino stole our thunder this week with discoveries i don't know if you the pure cinema podcast four hour discoveries of the year episode with Ooh. quentin and roger avery <laughs> we're not going to top that they no, did better okay. they did better they did better than us <laughs> hey that guy made killing zoe sight unseen uh there that that is uh oh i've I'm, yeah my i was just when I saw that coming, I was like, man, it's been a tough week with this move and work and stuff like that. This that made this week a little bit better. So thanks to the Pure Cinema podcast, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a discoveries type episode two. We're gonna run down some uh movies of the year, you know, all, maybe a holiday thing, all sorts of stuff is on the table leading up to the beginning of 2022, finally. Yes. <laughs> After, I think it's been six months or whatever. <laughs> we'll do another bracket we promise we, we promise that the next bracket is on the horizon yep uh patrick and i are nothing if not obsessive about wanting to complete things so brooks brooks <laughs> has taken you know months but yep. I, I i it's satisfying to us i think it's been satisfying to you yep. let us know via email and we will see you next week for the thrilling conclusion of brooks brooks mm, happy happy holidays how do you know? <laughs> Spanglish! <laughs> Stupidest sign-off ever. Yeah. The Simpsons.